I, I kept things more private because I saw myself through the eyes of religious people and they put shame on you. Now I'm, I feel pride. We did something that's so difficult. We left fundamentalist religion together with our child in one piece. That's a huge accomplishment. You know, feel pride. What you're doing is difficult. There's a reason everyone's not doing it. This is It's Okay to Go Radio, the show questioning the religious beliefs that influence our lives, the challenges we face leaving them behind, and who we become after we leave. Hello, and welcome to It's Okay to Go podcast. I'm your host, Haley Carl. Uh, For you regular listeners out there, you might notice a slight change in my voice. I have a bit of a cold, but I wanted to get a show out there as it's been a while. So forgive me for my odd voice. And uh, with that in mind, let's get on to this episode. So one of the most difficult aspects for folks leaving organized religion is maneuvering the relationships, friends, family, and for a lot of people, their marriage. It can be nearly impossible to question a religious structure if you have met your spouse inside a religious community, made a marital commitment to them within that religious structure, and then begin to have kids. For those who try to navigate speaking with their spouse about it, it provides a whole host of issues. Luckily, for Ben and Becca Bauman, questioning Judaism began for both of them before they had even met. The first thing that kind of split me off was suddenly it was an issue to talk to boys. Like all my brothers and my brother's friends were always in my house. They were always friends with me too. But at a certain point, it was not okay for me to be friends with them. At about 14 or 15, I started like breaking the rules of the, you know, keeping Shabbos. And I started smoking cigarettes um listening to metallica oh no yeah it was really horrible really terrible from early rebellion to a later relationship though their community brought them together their mutual questions brought them out we were in miami for passover and i finally asked myself a question which i had never asked myself before which was is doing this making me happy and the answer was no in fact It was the biggest source, religion was the biggest source of misery and pain and anxiety and anger and stress in my life. I'll start with you, Becca, where you're from and what your spiritual uh, life was like as a child and a little bit of your journey. My parents were raised secular, traditional Jewish, but very... very traditional. And on their own, they, as adults, became religious to Chabad Lubavitch, which is headquartered in Brooklyn, New York, Crown Heights. And so that's how I was raised, Chabad Lubavitch. Chabad Lubavitch. And what does that entail exactly? Is that a certain dress code? Is that a certain observance? (laughs) So everything. It's a branch of uh, Hasidic Judaism. Hasidic Judaism, where they followed the Lubavitch Rebbe, who Mm -hmm. has been dead now for... Like 20 something years, I think. And they still follow him though. Some still believe he is alive. <laughs> They're probably the, like the most integrated of the Hasidim. They go out and try to bring other secular Jews 
into the fold. So, I mean, they're like the Jewish version of missionaries, basically. They're all over the world. So I definitely was raised with more culture than a lot of other people got, which I'm really grateful for. Um, but, you know, separation of the sexes, strict dress code. I had to wear, you know, shirts that were past my elbow, no low-cut low shirts, only skirts. So then at what point were you questioning this upbringing? I was always questioning my upbringing. <laughs> Let's, I think once I became a teenager, probably 12, 13, I have six brothers, so I grew up, there's always boys in my house. I think the, big, the first thing that kind of split me off was once that, suddenly it was an issue to talk to boys. Like all my brothers and my brother's friends were always in my house. They were always friends with me too. But at a certain point, it was not okay for me to be friends with them. So that was one area of rebellion. Then I remember wanting to wear short stockings, which <laughs> seems, you know, pretty harmless, especially you if you're wearing short stockings, like ankle length stockings. Oh, that's that's a short. That's sto- short stockings. Is a like, calf stocking a longer one? Then? Yeah, you, okay. Because you have to wear long skirts that at least cover your knee. Most of the time, women wear. Growing up, we wore like ankle length skirts. But you were still supposed to wear tights or knee-high stockings because nobody could see your legs, of course. You got to cover the skin. Right. So I remember very clearly, like, having huge fights with my parents about (laughs) the length of my stockings. It seems a little bit ridiculous now as an adult, as a parent myself. Um, And I feel like I got thrown into the box and under the label of rebel at that point. Once you're in that box, it's easy to do other things because you're already breaking boundaries. You're already not fitting in. You're not the norm. And I never felt like I fit in or I was the norm. So, you know, it was easy to rebel. And did you feel like your parents and other people in your community were already looking at you like that? Oh, there's Becca, the rebel. Absolutely. Absolutely. People would call my mom and say, oh, we saw, oh, I was Rifka at the time, or <laughs> Rifki. we saw her on the street talking to boys, and... <laughs> they were on the lookout for you. Huh? And I was so innocent. I wasn't, like, doing anything wrong at the time. <laughs> but, you know, to to do that in the, in that community was looked at as, you know, it's like if you're doing that, if you're talking to boys and wearing short stockings, ankle-length stockings, then you're doing drugs and having sex, and you're going to end up homeless, a drug addict. So where did you essentially cross the line? Because it's it's so funny to me what we, when we're in these religious communities, what is rebellion? Like talking mm. to boys and how that's like such a big deal, but on the in the secular world, the big deal is doing drugs, having sex. Like that's when you cross over to that point. When did you cross over from being rebellious in that sense, in your own, in that Orthodox community to being rebellious in a real kind of way? Pretty quickly, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it just, it took just a few years. Also, the community we were raised in, um, uh, drugs was very taboo, but drinking was, it's very much part of the community culture, really. There's a lot of holidays and just even just on the weekends and Shabbos, the Sabbath, people would drink a lot. So definitely would start out drinking with my friends then slowly started smoking weed. At this time, I had um, 
I was homeschooling. I was I was working. For, I worked for a caterer. I worked at a, a a little bookstore, coffee shop. You know, I was very independent, very goth. I was. It was still very innocent. I lived in a little suburban town in Sharon, Massachusetts, where you would read the police blotter and they would talk about someone knocking over a mailbox. Like it was really, really innocent. There was, you know, no crime. You would hang out by the lake and smoke a little pot. And I was, I was, it was pretty innocent at this point. Mm-hmm. On a, from a spiritual aspect, what were you, were you questioning at all the existence of God or, or the tenets of your faith? Or were you just kind of, was it more the, I guess, actual like, physical manifestation of the rebellion were you rebelling I guess in a spiritual sense as well at this point at this point I still very much believed in God and I believed that religion had corrupted God at the time I thought that humans had made the mistakes that God had not made mistakes you know the way I was raised even though it was very very oppressive in many ways they tried hard to give you a positive look on on God's love and then they told you that God would love you no matter what and and they were always welcoming and accepting of of people who were not religious so I was able to make God work with what I believed and I believed you know I I was very pro-gay rights which was you know unheard of in, in the Jewish communities I was very outspoken against the child sex abuse scandals that they had in the Jewish communities for years. I would I would argue with people about things that I thought, and I still think, <laughs> are wrong <laughs> within the communities. Um, but I, I did believe in God. So Ben, I'm going to switch over to you to talk about uh, where you grew up and kind of your spiritual background as a child and, and how how that journey took place. So in a lot of ways, my journey parallels Becca's because we both grew up the Chabad Lubavitch. Our parents were both, um, you know, uh, converted to Chabad Lubavitch from, from, you know, they were like secular Jews. Their parents were secular Jews. But it's interesting because now, like, we're doing the same thing to them as they did to their parents in a way. But in some ways, I was a little different because I did buy into it, I think, more than Becca. And, uh, you know, until recently, I was, like, more conservative politically and, you know, basically, until a few years ago, I basically believed that it was, like, the real truth, you know, which is now very embarrassing for me, but it is what it is, you know? Why is that embarrassing to you? It's embarrassing, because it's such BS, you know? It's like, looking back, I'm like, how did they fool me for so long, you know? So what were you, so you... You bought into it as a child up until, you said, up until like three years ago. What was it like as a kid growing up and being involved in this? So Becca says she always felt like an outsider. I was like kind of the opposite in a way. Um, Like socially, I was like always like a loner. But um, in terms of being involved in the religion, I was always, I always excelled at everything related to that at school. I was, you know, a top student and, you know, at the synagogue, I would like read the prayers and read the Torah and all that stuff, you know. You know, until really recently, I gave, like, classes and, like, advanced classes and, like, whatever, in Torah uh, at the synagogue. What was your connection to God at this point? Did you feel connected to God, or did you feel... You know, connecting to God was always something that I tried to do, you know, I, I, and, and you never really know 
if you're doing it right, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was trying, you know, I was trying. What was driving you at that point? Was it was it love? Was it fear? What was the I don't know, you know, just that's the system that I was born into and they put you through a rigorous education and there's a certain path that you're expected to follow. And then, you know, I followed it till whatever, till I was, you know, 14, 15. And then at that point, um, similar to Becca, actually, you develop, you develop ways of doing what you want to do without disbelieving the tenets of the religion. Like you invent, you know, like you could say, well, God wants me to be healthy before anything else, you know, so I'm going to do what I need to do and, and he'll forgive me. You know, you, you develop a benign merciful interpretation of god and you find you cherry pick sources just like any religious person cherry pick sources to whatever they wanted to come out so you said at 14 you kind of started to question what what did that look like as you got into your later teens and early 20s at about 14 or 15 i started like breaking the rules of the you know of keeping shabbos and i started smoking cigarettes um listening to metallica oh no yeah, it was really horrible, really terrible. <laughs> then um, then girls, you know, talking to girls and, like, using the Internet to, like, find other girls in my area and meeting them. And then I met a guy who became my best friend for, like, for, like a few years. And we did a lot of drugs together. And then I went to Israel. You know, in Israel, it's, like, where, where all the Orthodox Jewish kids that are not like strictly Hasidic, a lot of times they send their kids there for like a year in between, gap year in between high school and college. I did that. And then I kind of went off on my own and like lived there independently and started a business there. And all the while I was basically doing whatever I wanted to do as far as like um, didn't keep, not keeping kosher and um, not uh, keeping the Sabbath, not keeping Shabbos. I was still very much buying into the whole other side of it too. Like I was having the the best of both worlds basically because I was able to kind of seamlessly go between like being learning, you know, in the the Torah and the study hall with them for like a few hours and then like going out and doing whatever the heck I wanted. So how did you and Becca meet? Our parents both moved to Israel um, when we were, I guess, in our 20s, maybe. Becca was living in Israel, and she became known to my family. They, they, they became friends. And then my sister told me that I should get in touch with her and see what happens. On Facebook, he wrote me a message. He said, they say we should get to know each other. I'm like, who are they? Well, because I figured it wasn't just her like making an isolated suggestion. Right, there was... There was uh, Quite a few people actually who were trying to to match us up. <laughs> was it because of your similar sensibilities? Do you think, or was it like you know, in the community, people consider it like a big mitzvah, a positive commandment to to try to hook people up. It's like it's considered <laughs> like if you like people will tell you like, oh, I've made three shidduchim, you know, three matches. You know, like it's like considered like a big merit to like they get a big portion of the world to come now. You know. We we didn't date that religiously though. I mean, we we were more modern. Ben wasn't religious at the time when we met. I was like modern Orthodox. I would say I kept I kept Shabbos and kosher. But you know, we we dated for a year before we married. We lived you know, together. We weren't 
you know, we weren't, we didn't date like Orthodox people that right. but from we the grew up with. from the perspective of the community, people like that are even more important to get married because they worry that you're going to possibly fall in love with a non-Jew or some, you know, they, they're very happy that they can make a union where that both people are like from these Lubavitch, we're going to have the Jewish wedding, and they're going to be, now they're going to be more religious because they're coming together in a, in a religion in that kind of way. And that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys, at this point, before you met each other, did you see yourself as 100% like being with another Jewish person, or did either of you think that you wanted to marry outside of that world? I didn't consider marrying a non-Jew. When I was younger, I dated non-Jews, and there was one that I definitely considered marrying. Um, I always knew my children would be Jewish, which at that time made some difference. Um, by the time I started dating Ben, I was looking for, you know, to have a Jewish home. We definitely had a lot of arguments. As Ben said, he was more, he, he bought into the religion more, and he was more conservative, where I was very, obviously, socially liberal, and there's, you know, blaring issues within the Jewish community. One of them is get refusal, where women who are married, if they want a divorce, if their husband doesn't want to grant them a divorce, they're basically chained. And I remember having lots of arguments with Ben about that in the beginning. Um, where To me, I was like, it's just wrong. There's no way that this could be anything given by God. And Ben thought there was ways to work it within God. <laughs> well, because, so. yeah, because if you, otherwise you have to admit that it's, you know, like, when, when, you're, when your belief stems from an intellectual kind of underpinnings of theology and all that crap, then if there's like a breach, there, then the whole system has no integrity, and then you can't really believe in it. So you have to defend its integrity, you know? Did you still have these disagreements by the time you decided to get married? We were a little bit different than other people. Like when I first started dating Ben, until really we got married, he wasn't observant at all. He would eat at Burger King and he would didn't keep Shabbos. I I never cared because that was you know his his business. Um, maybe if he was an atheist and he said, "Oh, I would never want a Jewish home at all," I probably would not have dated him, but I knew that he believed in God and he believed in the Torah, and that was important to me to some extent at the time. Right, like even though we had arguments, it's not like you were saying like this is wrong and therefore we should leave or therefore the system is, is, has no integrity that, mm -hmm. that, that you know, we should protest it in some more fundamental way. Like You, you well, also bought into like you wanted to learn the detailed laws of how to keep Shabbos with me every, every mm -hmm. night, and like, we were pretty into it, both of us. How long have you guys been married? Uh, seven years. Seven I mean, years. We're, we'll have our seventh anniversary in December, and we've been together for eight years. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So when did that start to really come into play where you guys were having these discussions? And you said it up until like three years ago for you, Ben. Yeah. When did that, what was that time like? Like what, was there something that happened or was it just kind of a slow unraveling? There were a number of factors. One factor was the sex abuse scandals, which totally undermined my trust in any authority figure within the community because they're all like completely complicit and none of them 
are standing up for injustice, you know, especially back then. Now, now, I mean, there were like, you could find a couple of them that say something, but still, it's a big problem. Really, it was because of Daisy being born. Because when my daughter was born, about, she's four now. So when she was born, I started to look into it because I started to realize, like, okay, I have to be able to explain to her why we are this way. And, you know, to be able to defend it. And I was like, well, I don't really know myself because I never really looked into it that much. You know, I just you know, started to realize more that I had taken a lot of things on faith. And then when I looked into them, you know, and there were a few people, I guess, on Facebook that I was connected to that were going through similar journeys. And there had been a lot of writing done about it, kind of like in this little niche of the Jewish blogosphere, the, the Orthodox blogosphere. And, um, you know, eventually, like, I started off first, like, defending the faith against these people. And then I, as I learned more and more, I realized that, like, I needed to be on the other side because this is all, like, it became apparent to me. I can't, I can't tell you from any authoritative perspective, you know, why exactly it is that it's all BS. But, you know, then you, then once you sort of get over that and get to the point where you're like, okay, maybe it's not really true. Then something happens where all of a sudden every question that you ever had about it in the past all of a sudden makes perfect sense because you start to realize, like, wait a second, what if it's all made up? And if it's all made up, then every question that I've ever had to pretzel myself out of, it's all, like, just resolved, like, really simply and perfectly. So then once you get to that point, it doesn't even matter, you know, anymore what the, like, exactly why like i don't have to argue about it anymore you know i'm just like oh oh this is just all a fairy tale like this is you know and what was it like for you becca during this time watching him kind of go through this and you know i kind of just watched it happen with ben i never really tried to argue with him or change his mind and he never tried to argue with me or change my mind um and he he stopped being religious before me and we were in miami for passover and i had a conversation with one of my friends and about him leaving and what I should do and I finally asked myself a question which I had never asked myself before which was is doing this making me happy and the answer was no in fact it was the biggest source religion was the biggest source of misery and pain and anxiety and anger and stress in my life so then I asked myself well why am I doing it I'm not getting joy out of it and I realized it was because I didn't want to disappoint my parents which seems like a silly thing as an adult to live your life or but you know that was the biggest thing and even when we stopped being religious I was I really didn't want to tell my parents I didn't want to devastate them because I knew it would I knew it would hurt them I mean my parents and my family are really amazing wonderful people but if I look back in my experience maybe my siblings would say something different my parents may say something different but the worst parts of our lives was always religion. There, that was what caused fights, what caused stress, what caused anxiety. If that was taken away, we would have had a great life, I think. So what does life look like now since that kind of transition out? Like, what do you... What have you guys, have you kept any parts of it or, you know, is it all gone now? At first, when we left, like, I remember talking with Daisy about it and she's like, oh, can we celebrate this holiday? And I'm like, no, no, we're not going to celebrate anything. And then I'm like, wait, 
that's not why we left. We left so we could celebrate whatever we want. So I always tell her, any holiday you want to celebrate, any religion, we'll do something for it. Um, so we do. What we've realized is that we've had to make new traditions because the old traditions, even if we try to adapt them and change them, they still end up leaving you feeling like you're missing something. There's, there's, you know, bad feelings sometimes associated with it. So like they just had all these Jewish holidays in the fall, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And I was feeling down, not because I was, you know, you know what's going on and you don't want to be a part of it, but you know, you're missing it kind of. So it leaves you in a weird feeling. So I focused on Halloween. I made a huge Halloween party for, um, for friends and, and specifically for formerly religious people and their children, which was really cool because there was a lot of these kids who some had not celebrated Halloween yet. It was their first Halloween. It was like really our first Halloween in a lot of ways. It was, and once I was focused on something different and focused on not what I'm missing, what I've lost, what I'm creating, what's new, it just, you know, made me so happy. It was, it was such a great experience, really. And what does Daisy think? How old was she when you guys decided to uh, leave, kind of a, in an official way? She was like two and a half. Um, she's four and a half now. She knows we used to be religious. She knows we're not. She says we're OTD, which is stands for off the derech, and derech means path in Hebrew. And it's kind of the slang that's used within the Jewish community to talk about people who have left. And they, they really talk about it more about like teenagers, like the OTD crisis, these youth going off and using their phones on the Sabbath and smoking cigarettes. Um, but people have kind of embraced the term. You know, we've been through so many ups and downs, you know, part of part, some of the time you're just like, Oh my God, I'm so happy. I'm so free. And then you're crash and you say, wait, how am I supposed to get through all these things without this, this system that they put in play? Like everything in the past, well, everything's going to work out because God said so. And you just need to pray and you just need to have faith and your community's there. So this summer I kind of realized I kind of crashed from the high of of just all the freedom and and I realized that I have to recreate that for myself. So that's something I've been putting a lot of effort into creating a a community and support group. I mean, not support group, but a support system, really. And it makes all the difference, you know. And having Daisy in public school has been such a wonderful experience. She's in school around the corner from her house, and she loves it. And every morning she wakes up and she says, I miss my teacher. Let's go to school. You know, she's so happy. She's learning so much. And I think about all the hours that we had, like, being indoctrinated and taught something that was made up. And that time, we have conversations with her. She learns about science and history. She loves asking about evolution and all sorts of topics, you know, she, she's super liberal. We've taken her to Black Lives Matter marches and Bernie Sanders marches. And it's just, it's amazing to be able to raise her like that, raise her progressive and educated and all those things that we didn't get. Ben, do you, did you, have you been feeling the highs and lows that Becca described? I feel this freedom and then a crash of like, I don't know how to deal with this situation because I don't have this structure in place. To My issue is more 
I guess, around a structure for myself personally. Like, you know, it used to be I would have to get up in the morning to go to the synagogue every day and, you know, do all kinds of different things at different times of the day, you know. And now it's it's a different, you know, it's a freedom in a different sense, you know, than, than Beck was talking about. It's the same idea, you know. I feel like if I had more of that structure, I could be more kind of happy and productive as opposed to being more like, depressed sometimes but um yeah I'll, I'll i'll figure it out it's early you know i think something that we've both experienced um is definitely religious trauma syndrome which is i don't know if you read about it and some of this the how it manifests it could look like depression or ptsd it's not all the time but there's times where you feel it the most i think for us also like our experience was a little bit like when we first left i, I had some um, health issues i was dealing with so that was really like what we were focusing on and then once that cleared up it was just like Woo-hoo, we're so happy and healthy and like and we really just kind of latched onto each other and explain it like like there are things that you st- slowly start to realize attitudes you have thoughts you have a, because of the religion that you don't even like, you hadn't even realized until now that, like, oh, I think this way about that because I was indoctrinated to think mm. that way or because I never I never considered that it might be otherwise. And slowly you just start to peel off stuff like that, yeah. You know, because we left together also, we had a built-in support system with each other. So in the beginning, I don't think I had to worry so much about building n- new support because we had each other. So now, even though it's, it's almost years later it's like two and a half years later now I'm feeling like I need that community I'm seeing that loss so that's really what I'm working towards now and then what is uh your idea of God or or what what does that look like to you now do you guys either of you feel like you have any type of spirituality you're still interested in or connected to or is that something that doesn't really matter it's something I've been questioning a lot. I mean, I don't believe in God. I am an atheist. But I want to be able to have some way of having that bliss that people are able to have when they connect to God. And I've asked people what they have. I know some people have yoga. Some people have meditation. Some people have music. I'm trying to find those things you know, in, in other areas. I took Daisy to a yoga class the other day. That was great. And we did some guided meditation after a night. I think, yeah, we could we could look for it in other ways I, without religion. Yeah. I mean, I think organized religion generates certain emotions that are very pleasurable for people and gives them tangible benefits too. And... I think uh, a lot of it is based around a certain mindset that is very positive and powerful, which is like, you know, everything's going to be okay. You know, we're guided by a higher power that, that knows how things need to go and you can let go and you can not worry. And, you know, if somebody else is part of your community, you got to help them. And you got, I mean, these are all very positive things that create real tangible psychological and practical mm-hmm. benefits you know so when you leave religion you have to it's 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 hard you know you, you have to be you basically make a choice to be free instead of being you know blissfully 
instead of being happy. I think that, um, I know for me, and I've seen other people go through this, where I'm very, I've got some OCD tendencies, and I have a lot of just anxieties in general, and I think when you're involved in religion, that things like prayer, or like you said, where every waking moment you're supposed to spend thinking about God, and when you pull away from that, and when you're left to just your own thoughts and your own feelings, then these feelings of like, Hmm, like depression or just even just what you're dealing with internally isn't getting pushed down anymore. Now that's coming to the surface. So it's kind of this mistaken, like, oh my God, like (laughs) what am I going to do with all these feelings now? And just, I think, learning to deal with those and kind of um, not push them away again, but, you know, learning to even just sit with them or even realize that they are what they are and that everyone feels these same feelings too. Hello, it's okay to goers. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, I have a quick favor to ask. If you have not already, please go to our iTunes page and give us a five star rating and also subscribe. Both of these tiny free actions go a long way towards getting this podcast out there. And of course, if you'd like to give a little more, please visit us on our website at www.itsokaytogo.com and click on the donate button. This podcast works solely on my bartending tips and contributions from listeners like you, so thank you. And now for the rest of my interview with Ben and Becca Bauman. So what do you guys, what advice do you give now to people or what advice would you give to people that are thinking about leaving Leave. organized religion? Leave right away. No. <laughs> <laughs> Find others that have left also. Talk to them, be friends with them. I mean, some of my, one of my closest friends is an ex-Jehovah Witness. Most of the people I hang out with, besides the people who live close to me that I've just made random friends, are people who have, are formerly religious. You need to have those people who understand you. That's, that's a hard thing to do on your own. Um, the issue that I have with it is that, you know, ultimately our beef with religion is that it's tribalistic for no reason. And so taking advantage of something that's Jewish, Jew- Jewish is a tribal identity, that that's the source of the whole problem. So I feel like we need to dissociate from that completely. We can't give it any, you know, any of our money or our time or, or anything. You know, but it's but it's interesting because a lot of other people will say, "Well, you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater because these more liberal forms of religion, you know, for the most part, these people are, have have very uh, progressive beliefs." Like Becca's saying, they're progressive people. Yeah, you can experience anything you want to experience. You could take. It is complicated, though, definitely. But for us, you know. Judaism is also our culture. It is our ethnicity. So it makes things a little bit more murky because we are ethnically Jewish, whether or not we are religiously Jewish. I don't know if Judaism is really an ethnicity. I mean, I'm Caucasian. That's what I tick off. There's no Jewish ethnicity box on a census. I mean, it's not really an ethnicity. This is a myth that, that Jewish people like to perpetuate to be able to say, 
that my religion is more sticky than yours because mine is, is just imbued from birth into incredibly more fundamental. I'm not talking about the religion. I'm talking about the culture, the food, the holidays. I guess what would you caution people towards as far as like, because I think with Judaism especially, there seems to be, it, it is very murky um, in a way that Christianity isn't and and uh it's it's as murky as like someone who's trying to leave islam what's cultural or what's just you know what can i keep that's secular and, and all that what would you caution people towards as far as like kind of drawing that line or what advice would you give if they're trying to draw that line in their life there's a lot of brainwashing that you experience being raised religious and for me figuring out what is me and what I want versus what the brainwashing has told me to believe and think and feel is really challenging. You know, that's that's the biggest part of leaving. You have to figure out what do you really believe? You know, there's things also that logically you can feel a certain way about, but emotionally you feel a different way about. It could be very complicated to know what you're okay with, what you're not okay with. You know, give yourself that time. You're going to change so much. You're going to discover new things about you. Just give yourself that time. Don't, don't, don't be hard on yourself. And be authentic. Don't be, don't feel shame. Feel pride. That's one thing that I realized, like, in the beginning when we first left, I didn't post pictures. I didn't, you know, I, I kept things more private because I saw myself through the eyes of religious people and they 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 put shame on you for doing what you're doing even though I, I had no real shame I felt great about what I was doing now I'm I feel pride we did something that's so difficult we left a fundamentalist religion together with our child in one piece that's a huge accomplishment you know feel pride what you're doing is difficult there's a reason everyone's not doing it. I felt the opposite at the beginning that I wanted to be friends with more religious people now because I want them to be influenced. You know, like if mm -hmm. I could see the light, then they could too, right? Like, mm -hmm. why not? You know, but then the problem is it started in the reverse way because I started realizing that I don't want to see the posts of all these people. Mm -hmm. So then I started unfollowing them. But then the problem is that they started commenting on my stuff, and I'm like, I don't even want these people commenting on my stuff. Like right. they're just like every time I post, like I'm posting like stuff that's aligned with me, my beliefs now, and these people are all jumping on it, and like all these former friends from my religious life are like, oh, this is oh, terrible, this is horrible. Yeah, and, it's and a quagmire. My new friends, <laughs> my new friends are like, who, who are these people? Yeah. Like, they are all commenting. <laughs> like you. What kind of dinosaur friends do you have? You know, so like I, I then I realized these are I my family have, members. I have to I have to unfriend <laughs> them. I just yeah. have to unfriend them. Right, I've unfriended so many people, and and just the other day I posted pictures from Halloween, and someone who I have not spoken to in at least eight years, and she has not commented on any of my posts. I mean, maybe a happy birthday or something here and there, but she <laughs> she wrote, "I love you, Becca Bauman." And especially miss you and your professional massages. It saddens me to see Jews celebrating a holiday that was used as an excuse to hurt Jews. So I debated. I'm like, should I argue with her? Should I 
and I ultimately decided just deleted the comment and deleted her from my friends because really what got to me the most was that she was saddened by my joy, which I've understood. And I feel that way with my parents sometimes with my family. Um, it makes me sad that things that I'm so excited about and enjoying could potentially bring them pain. But even my mom liked all my Halloween pictures. Even she is able to separate her pain from my joy. And she's said to me multiple times that she sees how much happier we are. You can have relationships with people who don't share your opinions and views and beliefs if you're able to respect each other, just like I have to hold my tongue if I see religious people post things that I don't agree with. I'm not going to comment and say, it saddens me that you are circumcising your eight-day-old <laughs> child and sucking the blood with your mouth. Yes, <laughs> I have to hold myself back from saying those things. I wish you would comment that, though. That'd be kind of <laughs> Right, like, that's more my thing. I'll, I'll do, not that, but... The truth is, I've abandoned it now. I, I went through a stage where I was just, like, a maniac doing that on everyone, but now, now I just... Yeah, it's not worth it. Right, I don't yeah. fight with people because you know what? I realize you're not going to convince them. No, you know? I, not, I on, not, maybe. On Facebook. Yeah. not on Facebook. Not on Facebook. But I used to argue with when I was religious. I argued with people about all of these issues. About I was against circumcision, um, at least the part, the oral section. Um, <laughs> that's I'm at like, least that's the English. That. At, least <laughs> at least if you're going to circumcise your child, use you know, glass pipette. You know that, that's what they do. The, the more the more progressive ones. So awful. So awful. Um, you know, get refused. All these things that I used to fight about. Like, I left. I don't want to fight about those things anymore. When you're in a system like that, that's so all-encompassing on top of the existing system, you're not involved in a civic sense at all. Most people, the vast majority of people, feel no sense of obligation or responsibility on that level. But then when you lose it, all of a sudden you realize, like, oh, there's all this stuff that's already going on like on the community level and then you try to get involved with it guys i think that was awesome <laughs> that was thank, a great you. Conversation. thank you so much for being on thank you thank you is there anything you want to uh organizations or things you want to promote or give a shout out to at all and if you're an orthodox jew thinking of leaving footsteps is a great organization um look into it for sure and there's also Yafed, which our friend um, is working on to help get education to the ultra-Orthodox communities. Some of them do not teach any English or any secular subjects in their schools, which is a big, big problem. So that's another great organization. Thanks again to Ben and Becca for joining me today. A big thanks to footsteps.org for helping us to connect. Ben and Becca and I first met at an art exhibit there. And if you would like to learn more about Footsteps and the amazing work they do, please check them out at footstepsorg.org. If you would like to learn more about this project, please check us out on our website, itsokaytogo.com. We are on Facebook and Twitter at It's Okay To Go. On Instagram, search hashtag It's Okay To Go. All of our music is provided by Jordan Cooper. That's jordancoopermusic.com. My name is Haley Carl, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>